welcome to Dwight in Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the unofficial behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopo. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 2, Flip, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by Jeffrey Hunt. Guest stars Bonita Frederici and Josh Breslow. Our blanket spoiler alert still applies, so if you haven't watched Episode 2 yet, stop whatever you're doing. Your loop practice can wait and watch Flip either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. A quick recap. Dwight enrolls Greta in high school. Baldrick keeps his emotions in check as he willingly leaves Greta's side for the first time in a thousand years. Greta learns what a selfie is, despite calling it a selfie. We meet Dwight's Nana, played by Bonita Frederici, who welcomes her odd new neighbors. And a mysterious nomad shows up and turns students and parents into mind-controlled zombies with his magical loot and tries to steal Greta's throne. And now that everybody's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. Once again, we are very lucky to have one of the wonderful creators and showrunners of Dwight and Shining Armor, Leanne H. Adams. Hi, Josh. Hey. And we are also very excited to have two of our stars from the show, Joel McCrary, who plays Baldrick. Yay! <laughs> and Sloane Morgan Siegel, who Yay. plays Sir Dwight. Yay. Hello. Hey, Yay. guys. So happy to have you guys here. This is great. We're very happy to be here. Thank yeah, you. this is a blast. Uh, it's awesome. Well, All right. We don't know we haven't done well, it. Well, that's yet. true. That's yeah, true. But, but I'm, I'm foreseeing the, uh, the wonderful future that is about to happen right now to all of your ears listening. I'm going to reserve my judgment till the end. <laughs> we'll find out at the end of this episode. Cliffhanger for you, so you yes. better keep listening. All right. Uh, well, first, um, for Sloan and Joel, since we have both of you here with us today, and before we get into the details of episode two, I'd love to talk to you a bit about how Dwight came into your lives. Oh, <clears throat> that's a very strange story. Um, I was dating someone at the time who was going out for Greta. Oh. And uh, I, and she showed me the script, and she was like, "You should really see this. This is a lot like you. Like, like this is really similar to the way you just normally act." And I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll give it a read." And I read through it, and uh, I fell in love with it. Like it was one of those moments where you know you read something or you see something, and you're like, "Wow, this is the next chapter of my life," you know. And uh, so I sent it to my agent. So I was like, "Hey, can I like go out for this?" And they were like, "Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, yeah." And I went out for it, and of course, you know, the usual process of like, you know, audition, callback, whatsoever, and then uh, I ended up getting it. But uh, I mean, I think, I don't know, did I? But uh, <laughs> you did, you're good. Oh, Joel yay. is still I'm reserving so judgment. Know. That's a relief. This has all been a ruse. Frighteningly, <laughs> you're so nice, they couldn't say no. We've actually been filming with somebody else. I, I you know, I suspected, but as long as I get crafty, I think I'm happy. Uh, but yeah, that was, it was just, yeah, it was just a weird coincidence. Joel, how about you? How did Dwight come into your life? Uh, for me, it really came um, kind of the normal actor way. Uh, my manager and agents called me up and said, hey, we've got this part. We think it might be good for you. You want to go in it? I was like, I read the the sides, and I was like, yeah, of course I do. And then before I went in, I read the script. I was like, oh, this is really pretty good. Um, and uh, originally when I went in, just because of the location of where we were auditioning, I thought it was a Nickelodeon show. Um, even though in the description they said they wanted to go a different style, that they didn't want to do that same style. But I thought, oh, well, maybe they're doing something different there. Um, uh, and, and so I went in and auditioned, and, it, you know, I walked away feeling like it went well. But I was really coming off of uh, one of the longest dry spells I had ever had. Oof. So I assumed it would probably, oh, I'll have a really good audition, like 
I've been having for the past year, <laughs> and I won't book it because they're going to go to a celebrity and offer the role to them. Or uh, for whatever reason, it'd be like, you are almost the guy. You know, it's like, you had it, you were the front runner, and then we saw this one guy that we just thought was more writer, which I think was actually the word that I heard one time. They were just more writer than you are. So I, I, I uh, went in the first time, and then they, they said, yeah, come back again. I was like, oh, great, I'll go back in, and they'll offer it to a bigger celebrity. <laughs> and um, But but it, that really that second audition was so much fun, and our director, Tim Kendall, on, on the pilot, um, he, he um, usually on these types of auditions, they really are looking, okay, can you do the comedic? Can you bring the funny to it? And so the first audition, I was kind of focusing on that. And then Tim, the director of the pilot, gave me this direction. He said, I know it's not really in the words and, and you know, you're punching that, but just to see if you can, can you try to bring some emotional to it? And, and these lines with uh, the uh, Dwight character, we just want to feel a little fatherly thing. So these lines, I'd never looked at that way at all. We, uh, we do this and it really became emotional. I was like, I walked out of there going, that was my favorite audition of all time. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, but I ended up booking it and, and ended my dry spell. Oh, well, that's and I'll, I'll tell you what happened. You walked out the door after that second audition and the door closed and Tim looked, looked <laughs> at us and said, that's him. And we all said, yep, that's him. Oh. And that was that. I didn't wow. know that. Yep. That's nice. That's nice. Yep. I felt the same way when I walked out, <laughs> but I didn't think anybody else would. <laughs> Let's listen to a clip. Okay, this all looks good. Greta. Thank you. Oh, wait, no, you missed one thing. Your previous school. Her Highness was educated by royal tutors. Homeschool. Sadly, the ogres boiled and ate them. Oh, you're those actors. Oh, I heard you were just casting that, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Lord of the Rings reboot. Right? Oh, how exciting. Well, I just need your signature right here, Greta. Baldrick, the royal seal, please. Blood or ink? Ew. I love that. All right, so let's let's talk about the episode. Okay. Um, so like in the pilot, we begin with Dwight at school, but this time he has Greta and Baldrick with him as well. And in writing this, were you consciously creating a parallel with the pilot, but now involving the wildcard characters? Sure, yeah. So again, we're returning to school. Um, and what's interesting we thought about this is Dwight is really the one who wants Greta to go to school. Like, Greta's not interested at all. Dwight cl clearly filled out all of her papers, uh, <laughs> clearly kind of roped her into coming to this by telling her, like, this is important. This is what you need to do. If you're going to, you know, live in this in this village, then this is what you do. And and there, she's quite hesitant and confused about it. And Baldrick doesn't really seem to know what's going on at all. Um, and so it, it's all been Dwight. He's he has this idea that if she's going to be part of his world, this is how you go about it. And he's really trying to structure her life so that she can belong there. And uh, Sloan, for you in that moment, is, is that kind of the motivation you found for Dwight or was there something else going into it? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, well, if, if they're going to be in this new world that they don't understand, then uh, I was thinking in, in, in Dwight's mind, it's like he's going he's gonna to try and as quickly as he can adapt them to this world. He's going to try and make them feel as comfortable as they can because he's, he's always trying to make people feel comfortable and make people feel understood. And um, his best way of getting them to feel understood in this modernized world 
is uh, helping them understand modern ways. Um, so yeah, I think <clears throat> I think that was definitely his viewpoint. Was like, okay, if I if I get her in school, uh, then she'll start seeing, you know, kind of how everybody interacts with each other. She might make a few friends. She might uh, start a whole new life out here. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and so uh, during that scene, when you're enrolling her, right off the bat, we see some Baldric magic as he pulls some items from his Mary Poppins-esque sleeves. Um, obviously, <laughs> magic is a big part of Baldric's role. Uh, Joel, what's it like dealing with both simple effects, such as taking out items from your sleeves and the more complex ones that I imagine take more visualization and maybe guesswork from time to time? Um so far, it's it's been okay. I mean, sometimes it's kind of you're doing the scene, and I've got some stuff shoved up my sleeve that doesn't necessarily want to stay there, and so <laughs> I'm like kind of clenching it to my body <laughs> so that it won't fall out, so I can save the scene. Um, but uh, I mean, usually it's just in there. There's like an elastic band holding it in there until I reach in and pull it out. Um, and so that's that's pretty simple and easy to do. Uh, but then it does become tricky because quite often I'll put things back in my sleeve and then have to continue the scene, and then I've got this thing literally in my sleeve. Now, there have been times when it's been like, going, okay, well, let's just, we'll, we'll pause right there. Somebody will come in and take that away from you because I have to do some kind of physical thing where it's like I can't have that up my sleeve and, and without it flying out and hitting another actor in the face, which I was all for. I thought that would be <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but uh, they were like, no, no, we don't want to wound our, 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 our actors, um, you know, unless it's on camera and funny. Right. Uh, then, then they seem okay with it. <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that also just like a last minute thing that ended up being a trope throughout the show? Like, didn't we just have one thing that we were like, eh, let's just uh, have him take it out of his sleeve, and then we ended up taking everything out of your sleeves and putting everything in? Like, yeah, it wasn't a deliberate choice. It it was a practical thing on the day that we were like, oh, well, just you just stuff it in your sleeve. Right. The audience will forget about it. And then pretty quick, we're like, you know, that's kind of fun having things come in and out of his sleeves. And so pretty quickly, we realized it was a fun device and and we've just run with it. And, and it's taken on a bit of a life of its own. Yeah, definitely on, on the set. There have been times when somebody runners say, OK, yeah, you're going to have that up your sleeve. I am. <laughs> you are. So, OK. And then and then uh, later on, there would be times when I'd be kind of like, shouldn't I pull this out of my sleeve then? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Pull it out of your sleeve. Uh, so it's 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 one of those things that just kind of, yeah, came out of necessity and then has grown into one of those uh, things that we found about the character that's really fun. Just all comes together. And so along, actually, the opposite line, so that's the magic side of it. When it comes to the real non-fantasy-related stuff, um, Sloan, for, for your scenes with Caitlin, um, such as bringing her to class, introducing her to your Nana. What's it like walking that line between Dwight's ability to roll with the punches, roll with the oddballs, but also taking responsibility for everyone to keep the train on the track so all three of your lives don't fall apart? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dwight's basis is is he takes everyone's responsibility on his shoulders. You know, um, he's a kid that he suffered a bit of a tragedy when he was younger, and he had to learn how to deal with that. And the way he learned to cope with that and the way his Nana raised him is to be kind and to be giving. Um, so as he got older, he just started taking on people's problems. And that sort of became sort of a, an instinct of his. Yeah, yeah. I, that all makes sense to me. And, and I was planning on getting to this later, but just since you brought it up, um, Dwight's character history with being raised by his Nana and losing his parents, was that stuff you knew about when you shot the pilot? Was that information Leanne and Brian gave to you or was that stuff you discovered as scripts came in with oh, that information? Oh, no, yeah, no, I, I didn't know that. When we filmed the pilot, they gave us a bit 
yeah, you guys gave us a bit of the rundown of the world, but you didn't give us like the full arc just in case. Because they're, they, it's fun. Uh, Caitlin and I try and try and get um, uh, info out of them all the time. We're like, guys, guys, please tell us something's happening because we love the show so much. We love the characters. We just want to know what's going to happen, you know? They like, corner me all the time. <laughs> and every time I say, I'm not going to tell them every, anything. And every time, I sing like a canary. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go to Caitlin and Sloan and say, okay, what did she say? <laughs> so I get the information from them. All right, we'll have to get you texting me. And there you go, whole, there you go. It'll be a whole phone tree. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, as far as, as far as that backstory, when we did receive the first 10 scripts, um, you know, like, like a couple weeks before we filmed anything, um, that, was, that was like, there was a lot of time to prep for those. I got to read that a couple weeks before filming and really integrate that into my mindset for Dwight. And uh, there's a little bit, we touch a little bit more on his backstory and how he came to be the the nice guy that he is, but I don't I don't think that's going to come for a while. Yeah. No, that's not coming for a while. No, well, yeah, what we get in this one is is at the end we learn about uh, the plane crash yeah, for Dwight's yeah. parents. And then, of course, the fates that Greta's parents met, which I believe were being turned into an oak tree and what was the other Devoured one? Devoured by fairies. By fairies. <laughs> Devoured by fairies. I don't think anyone's ever said that in the history of humankind. So that's pretty impressive. Um, so we're at school and the next thing that happens is we meet the show's first full-on villain. And I say that because Clodwick was just misguided. Um, but we meet the first villain, Yakopo. Um, Played by Josh Breslow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so much fun. Talk about just having a great time. Um, Leanne, what's your strategy in writing a villain? So there are no villains in Dwight and Shining Armor because every character who appears villainous to our heroes doesn't think of him or herself as villainous. They've got their own objectives, their own purpose in life, their own motivations, things that are important to them, things they're trying to accomplish that make perfect sense to them. So that's the approach we've taken with really all of the characters. And, and we will, you know, we'll call them villains because uh, some villains come out of the woods, but they don't see themselves as villains. So Jacopo is maybe the best example of a villain who does not see himself as a villain, uh, even as he's sort of gleefully wicked at times. <laughs> Uh, he he doesn't see himself as a bad guy. On the contrary, he's doing the honorable thing. He he lives by a code of chivalry, a very strict code of chivalry. And in that way, he's been able to sort of excuse his less moral actions because he's done it according to a code. So as long as he keeps to that code, he's a good guy in his own mind. Yes, and I personally see no issue with that. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> um, also on set, we were talking and, and you mentioned that you look at it as if the villain is the protagonist and Dwight is Correct. the antagonist. So yeah, that's absolutely true in this episode and in most in most episodes where a villain emerges. The villain is the is the structural protagonist of the story. Yakopo is the one making everything happen. And Dwight and Greta are his antagonists. They're reacting to him and trying to stop him. So structurally, if you look at the story of, of Flip, Yokopo is the protagonist and Dwight and Greta are the antagonists. When you told me that, it blew my mind. It, I, I started looking at writing villains completely differently. I think that's great for anyone who's, who wants to be a writer that's listening. I think that's really good advice. Quick side question. How did casting extras work for this episode? 
because there are so many in this one. Sure. Well, I'm going to start quickly with casting Yacopo in this episode. (laughs) Very quick anecdote. We were in Salt Lake City at the time that we cast this, and so we didn't have the opportunity to go back to L.A. to be in the room uh, with you, Josh, Um, which we, whenever we can, we want to be in the room, but sometimes we just have to go off tape. So we got your tape first, and we watched it, and we fell down laughing, and we watched it again, and we fell down laughing. We watched it probably 10 times, just laughing, 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 saying, this is the guy, this is the guy. But we felt kind of bad because we knew we were going to get like 20 more submissions the next day. And so we're like, <laughs> don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. Maybe, maybe there's someone better. But it's just like we, we knew it, you, you were kind of in this, you were on the pedestal and someone was going to have to come and knock you off the pedestal. Okay. So we watched the other uh, 20 auditions or so, all very admirable, all great, but we never fell on the floor laughing. So thank you. you, That's really nice to hear. I'm glad it turned out the way it did. (laughs) Me too. So, um, so Yukopa shows up, entrances a bunch of people, and now we get to meet my favorite wrinkly lady, Nana, played by the very talented Bonita Frederici. Um, viewers at home might not know that the episodes of Dwight were shot out of order. So Sloan, this episode wasn't your first time working with Bonnie, but I'm still curious. Did you get to meet her before she came to set to play your grandma or did you meet her the very first day you were working with her? Oh yeah, no, I I met her the very first day I was working with her. Now I'm going to have to ask for a fact check with Leanne. The first time I ever met her was on Todd, right? That's right. And we filmed that second? Second. Second. So um, you guys won't see that episode for a while, but we, she appears for like, like two minutes, not even two minutes on camera, but she came in just for this like little, little scene. Um, and we, (laughs) my first time meeting her, uh, we didn't even talk as Sloan and Bonnie. It was just kind of like, oh, hey, you're my Nana. And then she was like, oh, I guess I am, you know, as Bonnie would say. <laughs> That's a pretty and, good uh, Bonnie. Thanks. Yeah, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, she was just super sweet right away. And we just, um, I guess that's how you establish like a, like a family chemistry right away when you don't have any time. Because we, we had no time to meet each other. It was, she was on set, we were filming the scene, and then she had to leave. And then she didn't come back until, what was the next one we filmed? Was it Lessons 1 through 4? It was. So yeah. Four or five weeks later. So, yeah, Bonnie and I met, and then we filmed a quick scene, and then she left, and I didn't see her again for, like, two weeks. <laughs> That's, I, I love that because, you you know, it feels by the time we get to flip that you have a strong relationship with her, and I guess by that point you had gotten to work together. Yeah, yeah. I think Flip was one of the later episodes we filmed in the first half. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah, yeah, we were, we, we were pretty well acquainted by then. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun working with her. And so, and yeah. by the way, Bonnie and Bonita are the same person for the listeners out there. <laughs> oh <are> yes, <laughs> that we're sometimes saying Bonnie, sometimes Bonita. It's the same person playing Nana. Yes, yes. they yes. are both the same very talented. She goes actress. by both. Okay, so that day I remember uh, was a very hot day in Utah, and when we were doing the zombie walk down the street, <clears> which was when you uh, were filming your moat scene with Nana out front. Um, how does the beard stay on and how do you stay cool under all those layers? Magic. <laughs> I am a wizard, you know. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. He has, a, he has an AC unit up his sleeve. <laughs> no, I have uh, very talented uh, hair and makeup who are constantly paying attention to it, coming over, and if it's lifting off at all, uh, Michaela Fordham and Jenna Kilgrove, they just do a great, great job. And, and they're they're on top of it. And quite often... Between takes, they're over there and they're holding fans on me, uh, so that it doesn't start sweating and and slide off. And and but they're but they're 
they are the magic that makes that happen. They are absolutely incredible. They, they, I, I felt like they were the caretakers as soon as I got on set. They were so warm and so yeah. welcoming. Yeah, yeah. The entire crew, including Aaron Lyons and and Heather, and Aaron, and every, oh, everybody we had, they were they were just wonderful. The 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 uh, makeup trailer was always a joyful place. Yeah. Uh, to to spend time, which is good because I spent a lot of time in there <laughs> getting a lot of hair glued to my head. A lot of 6 a.m. call times dancing to Dancing Queen with everyone in the trailer. <laughs> oh, man. You got to invite me next time you do that. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, I, now, I'm just curious, how long does it usually take to prep you uh, in the chair? You know, when we first started... Um, on the pilot in the first couple of episodes, it, it took a little longer. And that was uh, probably, probably started around an hour 45, something like that to really get it completely down. And because things were still being figured out by the end, by the last episode, it was 45 minutes, maybe. Wow. Yeah. That's they incredible. got really good, really good at it. And also after doing that many episodes, it figured out a lot of little details and this works, that doesn't. Oh, we'll put a little clip here and clip it to my real go-to T underneath. Oh, we don't clip it there because it rips it all out and then I have a bald spot. Oh but if God. we clip it over here and over here, it'll hold. <laughs> so there's things like that that you don't ever think about. That that, uh, um, But thank goodness for the, for those ladies because they, they did a great job. Let's listen to another clip. <laughs> Couple, you blackguard. Oh, you slander me, sir. I have obeyed the rules of chivalry. Not yet, Jacopo. You may have defeated me, but you have not defeated my champion. Oh, jeez. Oh. By the rules of chivalry, Do it's a... not tell me the rules of chivalry, little girl. I know them by heart. Then you know you can make no threat against the princess until you have vanquished her champion. Nana? There's one more thing I should tell you. Where is this champion? Hmm? Excuse me. I, are you the champion? Uh, can I? Oh. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Uh, no. Uh, there. Hi. You don't mean him. Oh, but I do. This baby-faced monkey. None else. This cheeky little ball of jelly. Okay, that's enough out of you, Buster. We have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to bullying. So you're gonna keep it polite or you and me are gonna have problems and you don't wanna have problems with me. I like this tiny wrinkly woman. You may live in my realm when I am king, uh, but uh, first, uh, we fight. The initial scene inside Greta's house takes up a large portion of the episode. I want to talk about this. Um, we shot this one scene, which includes almost 20 extras, an epic fight with four stunt performers, a guy pretending he knows how to play the lute, and on top of it all, <laughs> on top of it all, it's an eight-page scene, which for listeners out there is extremely long for any film or TV show, but especially long for a single-cam half-hour comedy. Uh, Leanne, what... What was it like writing that <laughs> what, sequence? What possessed you? <laughs> why, why did you do this? <laughs> well, it it wasn't a, a deliberate thing. It was a very organic writing experience. Uh, when uh, when we did the first draft of the scene, um, that was when, if you notice, Yukopo really doesn't speak 
until he enters the house and makes his his challenge. I mean, he 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 talks to his loot a couple of times, but those are private conversations. They are. <laughs> so he doesn't. We don't really get to hear his voice until he steps into the room. He's defeated her and and says, "Now we we will discuss terms." So, uh, so this is in, in just um, in just a few pages. We need to tell his whole story, uh, and he's already. Um, he's already trapped her in this location. He's already, unless, unless we had her made a, make a break for it and run out of the house or something like that, he's, he's got her trapped. There's nowhere for her to go. And, and we wanted to really create this sense that she was trapped, that she had no, no place to escape to. And that forced us to stay put. There we are. This thing's going to play out right here in this house. Um, and there's a lot of story to tell with Yokopo. Once he started talking, in in our heads, I mean, we hear voices. <laughs> so um, so does he. <laughs> so once <laughs> once Yukopo started talking and we're getting his dialogue, he became so interesting and so fun and so funny to write that we really didn't want to shut him up. And that was the reason why the scene became as long as it was. Is that that Yukopo was such an interesting character, and any time we looked at trimming it down, it would have meant losing some part of Yukopo that we didn't want to lose. And so. You're not the first person to point out to us that we wrote a very difficult scene. And I still hold to it was the best thing to do. Um, it, allowed, it allowed us to show Greta truly trapped. It allowed us, you know, she's backed into a corner almost literally. It forced Dwight to come to the rescue. Uh, it allowed uh, Jacopo what he'd always wanted, which was this captive audience to tell his story to. Um, and then the bottle flipping challenge just plays out right there in the home because it doesn't make sense to take it anywhere else. Yeah, and and for the record, the bottle flip that's not even in those eight pages. That's after that comes after. Yeah, so so we're in that <laughs> spot for a while. That that's yeah, it feels organic. I mean, it really does work in the episode. And this particular scene, I was you know my scepter gets broken and I'm standing there just catatonic staring at that every once in a while letting out a whimper. So it didn't actually feel that long to me <laughs> because it's like I'm not paying attention to what's going on over there yeah you got to do that for two days yes <laughs> yes i did oh my gosh yeah <laughs> we shot, oh, sorry. We shot, which yeah, was actually kind of exhausting yeah i would yeah. imagine so uh, a test of patience oh that's another thing too the stunt we did for the staff break um, oh yeah when we did break the staff for that for that part uh that i didn't know how that was going to go down a lot one of my favorite things about our set is you'll show up on the day and be like uh, how are we doing this and we're like i don't know let's figure it out so jeff hunt our director said uh you're gonna put your foot uh there on the couch and you're gonna jump off and grab the staff and i said i'm sorry what because this is a very <laughs> tall couch and i am not a very tall person uh, so essentially last minute we were like, all right, let's put an apple box here. You take a step there, you put a step up there and then we're going to put a mat. You're going to jump off. You're going to grab the staff. But we only had the, the one staff and it was very breakable. And if I landed on it, I would have actually broken our hero staff. Oh, wow. Um, so I like, I did one take with it and I felt a crack and I said, I would like to try using the floppy staff. And that's the one. The, the stunt staff we ended up using. But, uh, but like, yeah, it was, it was really risky, that particular stunt, uh, just as far as, like, damaging props. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of stunts and props, let's talk about the bottle flip. Um, we're going to blow a secret wide open right now. Uh, Leanne, what led to the decision to get a pro bottle flipper for this <laughs> sequence? Well, well w this particular episode was up against a, a very significant time crunch. Uh, 
many of our episodes, we had the luxury of shooting in five days. This one, we only had four days to shoot it, which is really ambitious for everything that's happening in this episode. So as we're scheduling this out, um, looking at everything that we have to accomplish, and, and we, were, we were looking at, at the places in our schedule where we could get hung up on multiple takes again and again and again, where, where, where we wouldn't have a lot of control and it could end up just really killing our time. And the bottle flip was one of those worries. Like, what if we spend 40 minutes just trying to get a shot of this bottle landing um, and then it's not quite the way we want it to be? And you know, So we thought, oh no, we're just going to bring in a ringer. We're going to... Though I did train for so long. You were killing you know it. What? Do it. I was doing ready. really well. Sloan was in our ready. chairs, you were ready. And, and, and I, I hope they let you... I think they let they you do didn't. a few. No, I've didn't. never no. been more insulted right. in my life. <laughs> so we brought, we, okay. we brought in a local YouTube sensation guy who apparently could do all kinds of bottle flips, double bottle flips and cappies <laughs> and all that stuff. And we said to him, all you got to do is land this simple simple bottle flip. Um, and I think it was a very nerve wracking experience for him, but we got what we needed and we got it in a timely manner. And it, it just came down to not wanting to risk not being able to get it. Here's a fun question. (laughs) Oh boy. We've now seen Baldrick, uh, test new objects via taste a couple times. (laughs) Uh, first the light bulb during a very sweet scene, (laughs) um, at the end of the pilot and, and then, and now with the duct tape, Mm-hmm. Was that of your creation? Was that scripted? How did that come about? That that was it, it happened organically in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our our uh, our director on the pilot, Tim, was was shooting me. And he's like, "Okay, you're over here in the corner." Well, no, I remember what it was. He wanted me to kneel down and be testing a plug or trying to figure <laughs> that out. And it was like, well, the scene was going on for a while, and I had, uh, I think, I had. Uh, pulled my knee and I don't have a great knees anyway. And so, um, I had done something else, a stunt thing. And I said, okay, I'll do the stunt. If you don't make me kneel for this whole scene. And so it's like, okay, okay. So instead of the, oh, you'll be looking at these light bulbs and you're just fascinated by it. So just there. So when the camera's on me, he didn't yell cut. And so I'm just kind of looking at it. It's like light and it's glowing. And to me, it's, you know, it's it's this magical thing. How was this, you know, they captured light in a, in a glass, a tube thing and so I'm just sitting there and nobody yelled cut and so I've looked at it I've felt it I've sniffed it what's left to do but lick it <laughs> so I licked the bulb and uh there was a positive response to it and when you guys tested the 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 episode you said people really like that moment when you lick the bulb uh, so then I remember that and and uh, <laughs> in 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 later episodes I I, I have uh, called that back a couple of times here that. When in doubt, I'll lick something. I had a feeling. Um, it's, it's, it's good advice for all of you at home. When in doubt, it's what lick I live something. by. It is my motto. <laughs> We're all very ill uh, recording this right now, and we blame Joel. Um, is there anything in this episode uh, that we haven't talked about that you guys want to talk about? For Caitlin the record, in that fight scene, she oh, yeah. she they weren't they weren't going to let her do it, and she was like, no. I want to do this, and and good honor for saying that because they they she took like a whole day to prep for that fight scene, and they had filmed it with her stunt double um, 
McKellar. McKellar. McKellar, Caitlin's stunt double. That was impressive. Uh, was great. She had done the scene a couple of times. Like, it was, it was, we, we were doing awesome. And then Caitlin was like, I, I would really want to try it. And she had trained for it. And she went in there and she did it in one take. And she was amazing. I mean, anything that girl does, she just turns to gold. She really does. Um, and, and like, I, I love her so much and I respect her so much. And like, that was like a really cool day on set when we were just like, uh, is there anything else to do? Oh, yeah, Caitlin, you want to do the fight scene? Yeah, sure. And she just, she just did it. Um, what, what, about, what about you, Joel? Is there anything else? Well, uh, just speaking of impressive physicality, uh, I, I, a tip of the hat to uh, our host, Josh, here, and the physicality with the loot and with it pulling him back. That was all oh my gosh, just it was your physicality, your, your ability to do that. And it was crystal clear what was going on, that the loot was doing this. And I, I remember sitting there and, and reading some. I was like, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. Oh, and then you just did it. You know, it was really very impressive. And your, your fight with the loot is awesome. I, I appreciate that. Not to be too corny, but that's part of why this was a dream role for me. Because all I ever want to do is is physical humor. Man. Yeah. May, may I, I take the time to ask you a question then? Yeah, please. What was it like for you to play Yokopo? What was it like building the character and playing him in the scene with everyone else? You know, you know, Yacopo, uh, for me, when I read the script, the first thing that occurred to me was that he was evil Italian Inigo Montoya. So uh -huh. I kind of I took that as as my starting block. And actually, on set, I was reading The Princess Bride because I'd never read it. So that's what I was reading in my trailer and at night, just kind of to stay in the world. Uh, so it started there. Um, finding the right Italian accent was really important because I knew we didn't want to go with Mario. You know, we didn't want to go with cheesy, over-the-top Italian accent, so I really tried to make it grounded but keep the comedy up. And then from there, it's just like you guys were saying, I just needed to figure out specifically what he wanted and how he was trying to get it. And I didn't look at it as trying to build a character outside of myself but when you have an accent like that and you're talking to a lute that's pulling <laughs> you in every direction <laughs> you're fighting a lute it kind of that organically happens so that's that's how it worked for me i have a question for you um what were your first impressions when you showed up uh on the set in utah and found that we were shooting on a soundstage that was actually an abandoned bread factory <laughs> Well, I'm a bit of a wide-eyed babe when it comes to all this kind of stuff. So I show up on set and I'm just really happy to be there in a very cheesy, genuine way. My first experience was getting in the van in the morning with Bonnie, who couldn't be, like, she's the most welcoming person oh, in the world. So sweet. And then getting into hair and makeup with two of the most welcoming people in the world and the cast. It, so it, it everything just started to feel so kind and warm um and our first thing was a giant scene with extras outside of the school and all of a sudden i was being covered in dirt and i was going to walk up with this you know i call it a tevia cart because that's it fiddler <laughs> on the roof is deep in my blood <laughs> that's perfect and i realized i was going to have the opportunity to rise up and do like a reveal and i was like oh this is heaven yeah and it really is and the, yeah. these episodes of show yeah. You get to do things that, as an actor, you've always dreamed of doing. You never get to. It's like I feel like I'm getting to do Dick Van Dyke stuff, and I just I couldn't be happier. And everybody, I, this sounds corny, but truly, everybody's so kind on this set that it's just it makes it easy to play. So it was just a pleasure. All right, this this character in the show is a dream for me. But now we're getting too corny. Let's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it is too bad. It makes for a boring. Uh, you yeah, know, there's no uh, podcast here. with you know when it's like. 
no infighting and people getting mad behind the no, scenes. Everybody likes it. It really is just boring and nice. Joel, you're too amazing. I can't handle it. I don't know. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Right. Yeah, How dare you compliment me? <laughs> yeah, next season you should really try to hire some terrible people so we have more to talk about. We'll work on that. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm working on being a terrible person. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. good. Yes. Okay. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> I think that wraps us up for season one, episode two of Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the unofficial behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. Thank you, Leanne, Joel, and Sloan for being here. Thank, Thank you for having you. us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to work with you all on Flip. And it's it, I know I said it before, but it's truly my absolute favorite experience I've had on set to date. And, uh, and I love talking with you about it today. So I'm just a happy person. Uh, you can follow Sloan on Instagram at Sloan Siegel. You can follow Joel at McCrary underscore Joel. You can follow me at the Josh Breslow. And if you have any questions that are as yet unanswered about Flip, please tweet your questions or send video questions to at Dwight and Armor, and we'll tackle them a little bit down the line. Tune in again next week for season one, episode three, Peanut. It's pretty adorable. <laughs> I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life.